My name's Doug Green. This is the What's Really Matter interviews, and today I'm interviewing Barry Friedman. And let me give you a quick background on why I want to interview Barry. <laughs> I met Barry um, in Nevada City, Grass Valley area. He is a wildly successful. He's he's successful on so many different areas, and he has he he started as a juggler. I mean, a juggler, right? How does a juggler become a multi six-figure income earner. Um, there aren't many jugglers that are doing that. But not only that, he's parlayed that into creating online education. He's done six TED Talks. He coaches. He does all kinds of things. And there's something... So in interviewing Barry, what I found is he's got this approach, sort of this philosophy and this way of being with moving forward and doing things that most people don't do. He's a bootstrapper. He just like he just runs with it. He gets an idea, he tests it, and you read about that being the right way. You know, do version one, test it, just make it, make it work, make it good, you know, that kind of thing. Well, he just he just does this. So I want to find out how he does it. What's going on in his head? What kind of tips can he give us that maybe don't move as quickly and as uh as fast on opportunities as he sees them. And what's it like? I want to get into the inner world because one of my things I've, um, I've really come to believe is that we make decisions from somatically inside of us, not in our head. And Barry seems to be especially good at this. And I think he can speak to that. So without further ado, Barry, welcome to this podcast. And um, maybe you can just give us a quick overview of you know, how you turn juggling balls into this, <laughs> you know, this thing you do, all these different things you do. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, I want to be that guy or I want to meet that guy. <laughs> so, yeah, here, we'll get this out of the way for people on the video, a little juggling. And if you were <laughs> on the audio, I would run immediately to a video just to catch that little opening. <laughs> um, well, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. Uh, I'm a guy who would, uh, 15 years old, had a really crappy beginning in life, uh, you know, uh, physical abuse, food, stealing clothes, cheating, lying. Yeah, I, I was trained in the bad arts by uh, parents <laughs> who had kids at a very young age and had no idea why they were having kids, you know. I think it's what people did in the late 50s, early 60s when they wanted to have sex. A kid came out. And uh, so there wasn't a lot of direction, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of thought and planning. My wife and I were married 15 years before we had our only child. Uh, so maybe there was a bit of a... Uh, Going the opposite way there, right? There was some learning that happened. There was some learning that happened between <laughs> generations. Uh, so, you know, I was told uh, at 15, a guy taught me how to juggle. Uh, at the end of this little summer camp I was at, me and another buddy who learned to juggle did this little show. People laughed, people applauded. And in that moment, I knew that life would never be terrible again. Uh, and I got obsessed with it. That was 15 years old. I think it was 21 when I won my first world juggling championship. So let's, let's I want to go back to that key moment first. Sure. I think it seems to me in most successful people, there's a key moment. There's, there was like a switch turned on and yep. it sounds like that was it for you. Like and life this was is somatic. This was not a mental one. And I know you love somatic stuff. This was a somatic. This was not a decision I made. This was something I felt when 300 people at this camp were laughing and cheering for this silly little juggling thing me and my buddy did. And a, a, a click went off in my brain that said, life will never suck again. So what did you feel? What, what informed you inside? I mean, what, 
it's like it was a, it was a connection to reality it was a uh, a rush it was uh, life before that was very much based on uh, the mental the the fear the survival stuff and that just felt good it something came inside of me and kind of went wow this is whole body this is real i had a smile on my face that was authentic at 15 years old I actually have a picture of that moment and I can share it with you for uh, your viewers. Someone had snapped a picture and put it on Facebook about, uh, yeah, me and this guy, Mike doing this very first show. There's literally Doug, a sheet hanging. You know, you always say, we'll hang a sheet and do a show. There was literally a sheet hanging up behind us. <laughs> yeah. Listen, if you can pull that up, that'd be great. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you had that moment and where to go from there? Well, then it went to the camp ending because that was kind of on the last night of camp. But I went home and told my dad, who was an electrical engineer. You know, by that time, I was already living with him and I was kind of out of the danger zone. I was out of the uh, volatile violence that had uh, haunted my life for three or four years after it, that my parents got divorced. So I was living in a safe place. There was food on the table. But, and he was an electrical engineer, very right, left brain, analytical. It works or it doesn't work. It's black or white. And I had seen this shade of gray. You know, and part of me wanted to be him. Part of me said, wow, this will be great. You know, we were building things. He was doing a home improvement project. I was the guy up running the electrical wires. He was telling me how to, you know, hook heating ducts together. And it felt good to be wanted. It felt really good to have a purpose and a need. And this guy showed me that at camp. And I heard the laughter and applause, Doug. And I, uh, I knew I wasn't uh, destined to be a, an electrical engineer guy. I, uh, th there was something that happened in there that, just kicked my butt. It, uh, oh, okay, so juggling, right? Juggling, like how do you leverage that feeling, that, you know, that like, yeah, I got to juggle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah into, um, how do you move forward with that? I know that at a very young age, like 23, you ended up on Johnny Carson. Yeah. Like, which at the time was the, you know, it was oh. the show to be on, that period. Was, uh, very unlike today, any of your listeners who are listening who are probably under 30 won't even realize the impact, but it was, uh, it was the equivalent of having a viral video that the entire world saw to be on The Tonight Show. Now, nowadays, equivalent of having a viral video that everyone's seen. But, you know, there was... Uh, so how did you go from juggling balls at the scout camp to, what, eight years later, being on Johnny Carson? What? You said 23? Yeah, 15 to 23. And, uh, well, in between there... All I did from the second I got home from that camp at 15, I didn't want to do anything else. I barely, barely uh, focused on high school. I was smart enough to get very good grades without working very hard. Uh, I would juggle every day until this little crack, uh, this little flap of skin between my thumb and forefinger would crack every single day. <laughs> and, and at 15, 16, 17 years old, you heal quickly. So in the morning, it was ready to go again. You know, some uh, Vaseline or whatever, some kind of Spenko. I remember there's this stuff called Spenko, <laughs> second skin. And I, I remember just, that stuff. <laughs> yeah, lay that on at night. And I go back to juggling in the morning. And, and uh, it's all I wanted to do. Felt so good. I uh, felt connected with it. I, had, I didn't have a great knack. In fact, this group of kids that were taught to juggle out by the pool one day, our, our, our uh, group had a, uh, our bunk had a choice between arts and crafts and juggling by the pool. And I chose juggling by the pool, figuring in 10 minutes, we'd be throwing the balls down and I'd be in the pool on a hot day in uh, Southern California. Uh, not the case. N never stop juggling. I was one of the last people in that class to learn to juggle, honestly. Everyone got it quicker than I did. Huh. So yeah. persistence. Yep. So went home, felt good, kept working on it, kept working on it, met a guy at a park, met a couple other people in town, 
And it just never stopped feeling good. It never stopped feeling wonderful. 1982, I bet you it was. Yeah, I think 1982 or so, or 84 or something like that. Won my first world juggling championship. And, uh, you know, there was no going back at that point. It was long gone. I'd had to talk with my parents that I wanted to be a juggler. You know, that uh, we had seen some on TV. TV was very big in those days. You'd see someone on Tonight Show or the Mike Douglas Show or, uh, you know, whatever show was, uh, Merv Griffin. All these mm. shows that I eventually went to be on, they were like, wow, you can, you can be a juggler. So, I mean, it's a thing you say <laughs> in production. No one told me I could do it. There was no school for it. I saw it, and I made it happen. I just uh, could not, could not, would not stop. No desire to stop. So, that, 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 that need to keep going, you know, to not stop. Um, that's at the heart of this, right? In any entrepreneurial thing, the ones that don't stop. So you dig into that a little bit, or maybe maybe you can finish out the story here too. You go to Johnny Carson, um, you get seen. Yeah. I can run you through the boring part of that here. I, I keep this uh, poster on my wall. This is a, a hanging on my office wall. There, there's me on the Tonight Show. The very first, this is the first time I was on or the second? I forget. I got to do the Tonight Show twice, so. This was, <laughs> yeah, this was probably the second time. Uh, pr- pretty, pretty cool to do that, though. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Tonight Show, in those days, that was the equivalent of the viral video, as I was telling you. Uh, so the next morning after that, I think our, the guy who had gotten us on the Tonight Show, he had gotten a call from Billy Crystal's manager that Billy Crystal was looking for a great opening act, and he loved what he saw last night on the show. And that was, uh, let's see, we were in... March we were on. I think we started opening for Billy that summer. So just a couple. Yeah. And these are guys who I, I don't have the other pictures here. I can send you some though for your notes page if you'd like. You know, a few months before that, I was wearing tights at Renaissance festivals. You know, my partner and I, uh, my partner who I still worked with for 34 years, we performed together. He and I did Renaissance festivals around. But you know, to go from wearing tights at a Renaissance festival at a dusty uh, place in the middle of Texas to being on the Tonight Show in a couple months. Uh, that was a bit of a mind shift, but that was also great assurance that, Hey, Barry, keep doing what you do. Don't wait for permission. Everyone (laughs) had told me, everyone had told me you can't make a living. My high school guidance counselor, when I ran away from high school in 11th grade, I went back to high school after a a, a stint hitchhiking across the country and juggling. Um, And he said, Hey, if you pursue this dream, you'll be broken homeless by age 22 as if he had researched it. So age 23, actually I was still 22 on, let's see, 86. I, in 86, I turned 20. Yeah, I was 23. Walking out on the Tonight Show stage, all I thought about is, I hope Mr. Pav League is watching. <laughs> Mr. Pav was dead wrong. I'm not broken homeless. I'm on the Tonight Show. <laughs> so, um, so then you went on, the, on tour with Billy Crystal and Robin Williams and a few other deals, right? So you were, you were an opening act with some pretty big names. names. Everybody in the uh, late 80, uh, mid to late 80s, early 90s, casinos, theaters, colleges, every celebrity used an opening act. And these days, that's not the case because uh, people want everyone out in the casinos and it can be cheaper to not have an opening act. But everyone used them in those days. I mean, I got, I got a list as long as my arm. So how did, okay, so now let's get into the shift. How did you shift from um, just juggling to doing the online teaching and you know, what's kind of the path towards other, to spreading open and doing more, having more versatility and adding to your repertoire of the things you do and TED Talks and all of this. I mean, it's a juggler. You were a juggler. 
It's a juggler. <laughs> but I have a great friend who came over and he was like looking at my house. He liked my house. And I don't know, whatever. He, he had his own story about judgments, about things. And up on my wall in the living room, I have all these autographed juggling clubs from everyone I've ever opened for. And, and he looked around and he's like looking at the house and he goes, juggling from juggling. You know, he just couldn't like, there wasn't a box in his brain that you could have a house and a life from juggling. <laughs> I guess he pictured it more that you're in a car and things aren't doing well. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, juggling was interesting. It, it, we, ha- we got a great leap on it through The Tonight Show, which was wonderful. Opening acts, which got us a lot of uh, attention, celebrity connections, things like that. And then one day, it was probably around 1988, 1989, someone came up to us and said, could you guys MC a conference? And that was like music to my ears. And instantly I said, yes, I didn't even know what we were signing up for, but I had never really been in a business meeting inside a conference, but that invitation led to us doing very well MCing a conference, sort of introducing speakers, doing some of our act between things. And that led into 30 plus years of corporate entertainment for any fortune 100 company, 500 company you can imagine. Uh, they've taken us around the world to, uh, Orlando, Phoenix. Uh, now conventions are always in Orlando, Phoenix, or Las Vegas, but they used to be in actually interesting <laughs> places. Um, but you know, all over the world for these uh, corporate events, uh, product launches, trade shows, uh, mergers, acquisitions, sales meetings, didn't matter, whatever corporations are doing. And this was a budding market in, in the early 80s. We were really frontier on the, the front lines of this. So you took, you took your core skill set and then you found new ways to do that. Well, we took a great comedy and juggling act and cleaned it up a little bit, got out of tights, put on nice clothes, found out a little bit about the companies. I became very interested in why some jugglers work at birthday parties and why guys like us work at uh, corporate events for Monsanto, IBM. You know, why are we at these big meetings? And, you know, what I learned is, is root sales training, you know, how to talk more about what their interests are than about the awards we've won. Um, you know, how to, how to give them something that they wouldn't have unless we were there. How to make them think, gosh, that was a brilliant idea. Who hired those guys? So the, uh, we only, not only got hired back next year, but the person who did hire us was the celebration of the company. And we'd get good testimonials. We'd get lateral and vertical referrals within their company and to their network. And I was doing stuff like this way before the internet. Wow. Okay. So this is still juggling, although it's also... MCing and a lot of other things. I could see you kind of added extra skill sets onto your core thing, but at the at the core of this, still juggling. Juggling is funny. Juggling is like anchovies. As a good friend of mine, Michael Davis, hilarious comedian juggler, says, "If if a, if a pizza has a single anchovy, it's an anchovy pizza." Same as juggling. <laughs> you do one bit of juggling, you're a juggler. But I mean, the truth is, it was a you know an hour act. I think if you measured the amount of time that things were actually flying over our head, it was probably in the ten minute range in an hour. A lot of comedy, a lot of interaction, a lot of build up and creating a, a show that was entertaining. Okay. And then you got into teaching. Yeah. You did a- this thing right here. I have it on my desk. I always keep it on my desk. This is, this is called a Rockwood pin. This is what they put in your collarbone when you smash it into a bunch of pieces on a mountain bike. So I, I always keep this. This was the one that was in my arm. They took it out later. Um, but that was uh, February uh, 18th of 2007. Um, I was on a mountain bike ride with a good buddy of mine, one of my favorite hobbies in the world. Flew off my bike, a beautiful fall, followed by a terrible landing. Uh, and I heard my collarbone kind of crunch up. I lost, had the wind knocked out of me. Couldn't talk, couldn't move the right side of my body. 
And I said to my buddy who came over just to see how, if I was okay, he said, wow, what a flight that was. And the first thing I said was, I could barely talk. And I go, I have a juggling show in Vegas on Wednesday. And he's looking at my collarbone, almost popping out through my skin. And he said, no, you don't. <laughs> and uh, So Doug, honestly, that led, that was a transition. I thought it was the worst moment in my life, that thing. But what it did was I was ready to stop. You know, even in 2007, I was ready to stop. I had, uh, I had been part of this team act. I had been doing it. It was paying great. And the truth is I got bored. You know, I, I wasn't looking to create new material. I was making good money, but I was just getting on an airplane. I had a, I had at that point, I had a five-year-old son. I was getting on an airplane, going to Orlando, two and a half days of my life it took to do a one hour show. And yeah, it paid well. It's great. I have no right to complain. Uh, and I'm not complaining, but I wasn't getting off the stick. And on the easiest part of a mountain bike ride that no one would ever fall off. I'm still embarrassed when I ride by it, that this is where I fell. <laughs> you know, it was time and I got the little push to move forward. So sitting with this thing in my arm for six months, I was unable to juggle, unable. I didn't know if I'd be getting back to it. I lost feeling in my hands, couldn't move my arm. And I just said, man, what am I going to do to make a living if I can't juggle? I'd never considered that. And my wife had the great line of all great lines. She said, you're really good at selling a juggling act for a lot of money. And I was like, oh my God. And it, lights went off in my head. And I started thinking about all the entertainers I know, all the uh, magicians, ventriloquists, jugglers, comedians, singers, dancers who I've worked with, who don't know how to make money. You know, I had left them. A lot of the acts were still at the Renaissance Festival that I used to work at in the 80s. Some of uh -huh. them were stuck doing library shows. Some were, you know, and they all had an ambition to get hired, but what was missing was the business gene. So this six months that this thing gave me, gave me time to start thinking about, wow, what would it be like to teach some of what I know? What do you call it the business gene? I guess because most entertainers don't have it. You know, yeah. like a lot of men have the sports gene. I never even know what season it is. People go, hey, World Series. And I'm like, oh, I love hockey. I'll watch that. You know, <laughs> I don't even, yeah, I, I don't have the sports gene. So I call it the business gene. All right. So maybe um, expand on that. What is the business gene? If you could describe it. Um, in terms that a non-business gene or somebody that doesn't know if they have it or not, what is it? What's it look like? First, listening to this thing, entrepreneurs usually have one really strong strength and that's the creativity, you know? And, and if they're smart, they'll build teams around them that take care of the other stuff, you know, the infrastructure, the admin, the outsourcing, the, uh, the patents, you know, all these different pieces. Entertainers, not so much. You know, entertainers go, oh, I can learn to do this or I can you know, I can fake this or I can get, we don't, we don't build it. We don't, a lot of entertainers don't look at it as a business. We look at it like I'm a great magician. And by doing that, it's the, if I build it, they will come thing. Doesn't work in business ever. So the, the business gene, the way I call it was, and I was part of a team match was, which was, you know, wonderfully successful. My, my partner was, he loved the, he's the guy who he, you know, he worked libraries. He, you know, he, he would have been working at, at magic mountain being a juggler in line if we had never met probably. And this is by his own admission. You know, he says he didn't have that business gene. I was like, I didn't mind doing the shows. The shows were fine, but I thrived in here, man. I loved the business. I loved meeting new clients. I loved uh, getting them on the phone, finding out what they needed, finding ways we could fill that gap, really painting that picture for them. So they went, Oh my gosh, I didn't know this was possible. So mm -hmm. I call the business gene being able to take what you love, your real sweet spot, and surround it with an infrastructure that allows you to make a living. And, and boy, that's a, that's a tough one for a lot of entrepreneurs. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Where to go from here? Um, 
So, so you're juggling. You, your wife says, you know, you're really good at booking acts and making a lot of money doing yes. this. So you put, <laughs> so you had a deadline, you forced yourself to keep producing, producing, producing. So in a sense, it goes back to that thing Marissa Meyer said, always be doing something that you're not ready to do. My gosh. Yeah. I remember finding that quote early, early in my career. She said at Google, we're always doing something we're not ready to do. That was great. I think she's moved on since to Yahoo and who knows what. She's a big, big CEO, uh, big picture person. But yeah, I love that quote. And I thought, boy, that's, yeah, I've done that back since the beginning, you know, back when I was hungry and I'd go to the store as a kid and didn't know how I was going to get food. So what's going on inside your head when you're doing this or your body or whatever? How do you find that kind of, and maybe it's part of this um, entrepreneurial gene you're talking about, but, you know, not everybody has that. A lot of people would like to have it. And my hope is that people that maybe don't have it real well can cultivate it and develop it. 
I think it's a level of trust. I think we have to really, I mean, I trust in myself so in such a big way. I, I try, even when I'm making bad decisions, I trust that this is what I have to do. And, you know, you and I had a little talk about gut intelligence, you know, versus this thing in our brain. And I mean, to me, the gut intelligence has always been such a leader and it's hard. I mean, this, this thing in the head, it sounds convincing with its very fancy verbs and nouns, doesn't it? It's, uh, it's like, wow, that should make sense. It's, uh, it's forming full sentences and it's using logic. But boy, all the good decisions came from a, a feeling, a, an overwhelming feeling. Like when my wife said, you're really good at selling a juggling act for a lot of money. That was, had nothing to do with my head. That was just a... I was like, yeah, I mean, I get goosebumps right now thinking about it. That was, that was my body going, that's the truth, man. You are really good at selling a juggling act for a lot of money. So what did you feel inside? Where did you feel? And um, I've, I've heard people describe it as like a full body. Yes. Um, I mean, this is going back 10 years. I, I'm not sure exactly where I felt in my body, but the full body. Yes. is like, yeah. And I mean, when I talk about it right now, my arms, both my arms shoot up with hair. So yeah. full. Body. So it's like an energy going through you. So some people may not have that ability to tap into it. They may not know. They may not get that full body. Yes, but they should still like, I'll bet it Google Marissa Meyer, like, a lot of the stuff that they're not ready to do, they just did it anyway. And it may not have been stuff that they got the full body yes to or the full corporate yes to or the full team yes to. They just like, you know what? Let's push in this direction. We don't know where it's going to go. We don't know if it's going to work. Um, but we're going to go anyway. Yeah, I don't know about that big corporate level. You know, there's always a committee, red tape, board of directors, uh, investors. There's always a lot there. Yeah, so, so let, I, let's bring I'm it I'm not sure out. how long, how far <laughs> the uh, full body yes takes them. Um, but boy, I can tell you as an entrepreneur, as uh, you know, individuals in this remarkable time in history where we literally have the chance to create our own, our own reality, that has to be what we lean into. If we wait for approval, for yeses, for committees, for permission, for a diploma, just stop. Go get a job. So let's say you don't have the full body yes, but you don't have a full body no. You have a, let's call it a kind of body maybe. I'll say you're, I'll say you're, uh, you're lying to yourself. There's never been anything. There's never been a, 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 there's a hell no. And there's a hell yes. There's never, no one's ever said hell. Maybe that's a padding that we put on top of the actual gut feeling that we're afraid to trust. And I'll just own all that. That, that would be a padding I would put on top of a gut feeling that I was afraid to trust. I don't hmm. want to trust that onto anybody else, but no one ever says hell. Maybe, um, Oh man, I, I never hear that, especially with, uh, you know, people I work with now, I don't, I don't do that. So you wouldn't push forward into anything that you didn't have a full body yes on. Even say if you're going to do entrepreneurial work and you're going to don't even hunt around. If it's not a hell yes, don't do it. And my goodness, you know, if you're someone who needs every single light to be green before you start the car and go, this isn't the right business for you. If you, you know, you've had some success or if you've uh, felt that hell yes and done it and felt what it comes out on the other end, then yeah, just go for it. I mean, hell no's can be really clear. They can be, they can be wonderfully clear and they're great. Um, hell yes. Oh, you know, that's, that's in the body, man. I don't even think hell yes needs words. Okay. So you have the hell yes, but you have a lot of trepidation. Maybe they don't have the, um, the series of successes you've had. Okay. And they're like, uh, and they can't, they can't not do it and they can't, they're kind of like on the fence about it anyway, despite the full body. Yes. Where do you go with that? How do you dissipate that energy? How do you 
move through the you know the head going oh no you can't do that because you know blah 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 and it comes up with a whole list of reasons and all of that what's your advice to yeah we can go back into the head to solve that you know and and, and in a way we have to because if, if the body's a hell yes but you have no idea what to do it's what's the smallest thing you can do. There's a, there's a really funny idea. There's a really funny theory in math. You know, we can multiply zero, which let's just say we're starting at zero with an idea that's a hell yes. We can multiply that times a million. It's still zero, right? So what we have to do is basically white knuckle this stuff. We have to find the smallest step that can get us from a broken collarbone where I can't move my arm to, uh, you know, now leading a global community of entertainers around the world who have changed the way they run their businesses the tiniest step in that was just hearing my wife say, you're really good at, at booking a juggling act and not rejecting that, letting that in, <sighs> taking a breath, holding that. Yeah. At that point, you're no longer a zero. You're at least a point one. Point one, we can multiply a hell of a lot of times to get to, uh, <laughs> to do some math with. And when we get to a stage one, when we've at least come up with a name for something, uh, maybe gotten a domain name, Maybe written one piece of content. We've gone from zero to one. Going from zero to two, that's only 100%, man. That's easy after what you've just done. <laughs> really what we have to do is break this down to what's the smallest tangible thing we can do that gets us from feeling like this power, like I have nothing right now. Sometimes it's, it's reaching out on the phone, looking at uh, LinkedIn, finding an expert, reading a book, writing an article, commenting on a blog post. It can be so tiny that it feels like, oh, that's nothing. But the truth is, it's monumental. It's Everest from where you are right now to just getting that tiny thing done. So uh, trusting the full body feeling, this is a hell yes for me. I can feel it. I can feel that inside of me. Uh, the next piece, what's, what's a really tiny step I can take right now? This all goes back up into the head, so it's, uh, it gets out of really where we like to play on this stuff. But we can use the body as a truth detector. We can go, wow, if I... If I just uh, read this book, does that bring me one step closer to at least understanding? For my big thing, it was spending two grand on Jeff Walker's product launch formula. I was like, mm -hmm. man, that felt huge to me. Getting these modules, which were so barbaric in 2007. Jeff talks about those all the time right now, his first version of that. He's like, I'm embarrassed when I see it. But uh, <laughs> you know, now in his book, I'm, I'm chapter four of his book launch, his New York Times bestseller book launch. I'm chapter four. Uh, you know, the message that sends to me is, Barry, keep listening to your gut. You got cleanup position in a New York Times bestselling book. Huh, okay. What else? <laughs> well, I don't need to stop talking. I don't even know if you wanted to go in different ways. I'm I, yeah, I'm, I want to keep coming back to this piece about moving forward. You know, like there's different ways I've heard it explained. There's fail forward. There's, um, you know, don't, they talk about doing three versions of the pro like let's say just within this product area creating digital products the first one is to just get something up right just test it um see what happens and you'll make a you'll make a lot of mistakes but at least you have something up you can throw tomatoes at and change and alter and do whatever you need to do just make it work and then the second one is come in refine it third one is you know by that time you'll probably have a really cool product from the feedback from the first two but um, I'm still, I want to go back to the somatic side because my, my belief is that if you don't feel it, you're probably not going to do it. If you don't feel that full, look, as you're saying, full body, yes. Maybe that has to be coupled to the entrepreneur gene. Maybe you have to have the entrepreneur gene to have that. I don't know. That's what I'm exploring. I'm really looking for your. 
offer that if someone is still listening to this conversation, I don't know where we are 20 minutes in, they have the gene. It's the gene is probably a hell yes. Uh, the fear, the stuff that happens up in the head is the stuff that's bringing it back down, you know, out of a full body into the, well, what, a, what would my parents think? What would my friends think? What would my boss think? Where do I have time to do this? I'm raising a kid. You know, the excuses are, are long. The list goes on forever. And I'll tell you, it's honestly boring as hell. It's the same excuses that everyone's using to keep themselves small. The entrepreneur that breaks out of it learns to listen to the body, learns to take those tiny micro steps, build on those so that every time they double them, they're a little bit bigger. They're a little bit bigger. You know, a tenth plus a tenth is a fifth and, and the fraction keeps on getting bigger and then we're into whole numbers. But, you know, the, we're not going to be at zero on, on Sunday and, you know, a 10 on Monday. We've got to get rid of that. And we live in a society that is so big. You know, you see something, you don't even have to go onto the computer to hit something now. They got this little Amazon Echo thing. You just say, you know, I need more trash bags. And somehow magically a UPS guy brings them to your door in two days. Um, so we're, we're, we're dealing with this instant gratification. And the truth is the development of the human being, the uh, growth of a business, us understanding how we can actually help prospects, how we can give them something, how we can bless their lives, how we can offer them an opportunity for transformation, slowly show them that, hey, I was just like you. I mean, this is the stuff Jeff teaches. You know, I was just like you. Here's what I discovered. Here's what it did for me. Here's why I'm sharing it. That's a process, man. That's not yelling at your Amazon Echo what you need, what you need to deliver. <laughs> And boy, we, we have to do some deep work around that stuff. And, and there is uh, computer work, there's personal work, there's, uh, you know, coming to terms with a lot of stuff. And it all bases back to the body. Is this a hell yes? Should I be doing this? Um, and we can study, we can dig in, we can get diplomas, we can, I know this guy who's an amazing coach and he just told me he's starting coaching school. I was like, What? You know, I've been in a group with you for five years. You're unbelievable what you do. And something in him didn't feel good about uh, charging for it unless he had some certificate. I'm like, dude, I've been a business coach. I mean, I coach entertainers for good, good money. I mean, I got, I got a nice sideline of private coaching and group coaching businesses. <laughs> well, yeah, whoever told me I can do that. The people who told me I can do it are my clients who have doubled and tripled their income from me working with them. So. Yeah. All right. So somebody's, they've got this. Yes. They got the apprehensions. Um, what, what are your tips for them? Let's, let's take this down into uh, nuts and bolts stuff. Back up a second, you know, from what we said before, find the smallest thing you can do that'll move you forward. And if it scares you, it's the right thing. The smallest thing you can do that will move the needle for you. And if it scares you, you've nailed it. If it doesn't scare you, if you think, Oh, I could do that. It's not the right thing. You need to do something that gets you back into the body. I mean, exactly what Doug loves talking about. Something that just goes, oh, gosh, I don't know if I can do that. You know, that first time I walked on stage with my buddy at the end of that summer camp, man, my heart was pounding. My heart was banging. Now I go on stage in front of a, the biggest show I ever did was 60,000 people at the Georgia Dome for an Amway conference. You know, Amway used to hire us to come into these big mega meetings and do an hour of uh, amazing entertainment between uh, George Bush and Robert Kiyosaki, you know, there would just be like <laughs> mega speakers and then we'd do an hour comedy act in the middle of it. But, you know, my heartbeat didn't change. That's massive growth. Um, but the, the first time I did it, you have to feel it in your body. If you're not feeling it, if you're not feeling shaky, if you're not almost crying, if it doesn't bring you to your knees to think about this first little task you have to do, it's probably not the right thing. Keep digging. But boy, 
if you're sitting somewhere with a strong idea, with a desire, like I have to do this, I want to do this so badly, just find the smallest thing that gives you a, gives you a little, maybe a heart arrhythmia for a second. Just, <laughs> that's your truth detector. You don't have to get into books. You don't have to talk to coaches. You, you have a truth detector built into you. Use it, lean into it. Huh. Okay. Um, I like this. The, the scary part. If it doesn't kind of, what's the word you use? Scare, fear. If it doesn't get you a heart arrhythmia, it's probably not big enough. But you know, they always tell people are lying when that little thing on the, uh, the lie detector does that spike. Yeah. That's honestly what our body should do when we say the one thing we really need to do. That's the spike we should see. We should, you know, I have things like that. I'm, you know, we didn't even get into talking about, but the, uh, that get more corporate gigs led to uh, having a couple hundred clients who had gone through that thing and were asking for more, you know, what else can we do to book? I created a 10 week group coaching program and that just is finishing its 11th session right now. Uh, for the last three years, I've run it once a year. And for the first two or three years, I ran it two or three times a year. So the 11th session of it is ending now. It's a, it's a, a bigger investment of time of, of money for people to join it. I take 25 people at a time. And uh, people come into it and we go deep into, you know, their work, what they're doing. It's kind of picks up right where Get More Corporate Gigs is like this bachelor's uh, degree. This is the master stuff. And then PhD level people, sometimes I work with them privately or in small groups. So, you know, I love sharing that stuff. I love helping entertainers who are just have these great acts and don't know how to book. That led to me thinking, wow, what's it like to help people who aren't entertainers? And this is great. This is more just, hold on a second. This is a... Uh, this is more me just leaping off before I have any training or authority to do this. But I, I, uh, on leap day 2012, my son asked, what are you going to do for leap day? What are you going to leap for leap day? And I said, I'm going to leap sugar. I was eating so much crap in those days, Doug. That led me to writing this book, Amazon bestseller. I love me more than sugar. That led me, <laughs> that led, no, actually I wrote this to help support an online program I had done to coach people through 30 days sugar free at 30daysugarfree.com. We run a challenge on the first of every single month. And there's people around the world who have been affected. About 18 months into that, someone said, hey, write a book and go on TV. Wrote this book, did all the stuff to uh, get it out in the world. It sells copies every day. I went on 25 TV shows, jumped on Southwest airplanes. No training, no, you know, no <laughs> coach on how to do this. I just called TV stations, got on, booked on, got on, booked on 25. Every major network had, had me on. Um, and I use this to bring people into my online program for 30 days, sugar-free coaching. Some of those people turn into long range coaching clients. So, you know, it's. And ju just to, to be clear here, this is not your area of expertise. Sugar It's like, maybe it is now, but when you started that, it, it was like, I was a guy who ate Reese's peanut butter cups and Snickers every single day and realized, <laughs> I mean, every day of my life, I love the junk food. I mean, I, I was horrible and, and I, was, I felt so sick when my nine-year-old asked me, what do I want to leap? I was like, I just said sugar one day. So what was the process of turning that leaping sugar into this whole, this program and the book and then all of that? That was uh, February 28th when that happened of 2012. That was a leap year. The next day was leap day. We, my son and I had just finished eating this chocolate yogurt with all these things on it. I literally felt sick to my stomach. He asked me what I was going to leap for leap day. I said, I'm going to leap sugar. He had a great line for a nine-year-old. He said, I'm not going to do that, but I will, uh, but I won't pick my nose for the day. That was what he was doing, <laughs> so, which, which I loved. So I went February 29th, 2012 with no sugar, nothing with added sugar in it. 
I did eat fruit, but if it had sugar under any of its 50 plus names on the label, I didn't touch it. March 1st, I woke up and I said to my wife, the same woman who told me, uh, you're good at selling yeah. juggling after a lot of money. You know, we, we confess in each other that way. I said, I don't know what happened yesterday, but I feel so empowered. I mean, just like, I feel like I made all these great choices about life and who I wanted to be and all this from 24 hours of not eating any sugar. I said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to keep going for a little while. I just said, I'm going to do another day. I think about a few days into that, I said, I'm going to go 30 days without sugar. I think around 21 days into that, Doug, honestly, I would have had to have been at gunpoint. I, I, Slept better. I had already lost weight. My skin had cleared up almost completely. Uh, my anxieties were gone. All of a sudden, I, was, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of high energy now. I don't even drink coffee or, or do any sugar. <laughs> so I, was, I was a nightmare when I was eating all that sugar. You'd probably be dangerous to those people around you if you did drink coffee. <laughs> Video myself a lot on TV from, you know, early, late, mid, late 2000s. You know, and I just got, who was that guy? It was incredible just how I looked in those days of all the sugar I was eating. So how did that turn in? Let's see. Then I think I was about 15 months with no sugar. I had passed a year and someone said to me, how do you do this? You know, people started asking me and I thought, oh, I know how to put up together an online program. So I just uh, literally, it was September, it was uh, August of 2013. And I said, well, I told Annie, I'm going to, so I was a, yeah, it was a year and a half into the no sugar thing. And I said to my wife, I'm going to, I'm going to put together this, I built this little simple page that said 30 days sugar free. I bought this domain name. I, my son was in a play. I launched the page, put it on Facebook or something, went to take him to the rehearsal, looked on my phone and someone had already signed up for the program for, uh, for the next month, starting on the first of the month. So I said, oh my gosh, I guess I'm going to do this. So I stayed in great form, which we're finding here, which I'm sure will be the title of your podcast. I don't know what it is, but you know, <laughs> I stayed two days ahead of those people. September 2013, I ran the first program. And on day one, I was, you know, for them, day one, I was writing day three. Day two, I was writing day four. I was just looking what people, I had about 80 people in the program the very first time I ran it. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was staying two days ahead coaching them. And for the most part, without, with, that, with the exception of some uh, grammatical changes, some stuff that's happened in the meantime where I could help people more, the program's 80% the same as it was when I wrote it in, in September 2000. So just to recap, what started as a challenge by your son has turned into this multi-year program that's helped hundreds, if not thousands of people. Uh, eight, uh, ten, maybe probably 10,000 by now gone through. And uh, it's getting to an interesting point. We have a Facebook group with almost 60,000 people in it now. And, you know, that little hockey stick is starting to turn vertical now. But it, it's a long, you know, it's a long time loving what you're doing. and. Boy, I meet so many entrepreneurs that, same as juggling, you know, I could have quit after the first time my hands started to bleed. But, you know, there's that thing, if there's that thing in us, just keep going, you guys. Don't stop. Do what it takes to, to go from zero to point one to point five to one to two. <laughs> okay, so what are some other tips you'd give to folks? Be very, very, very and I'll just keep saying very, but be very protective of the seven holes in your head. This has been one of the greatest survival methods for me in my life. You know, we have this mouth, these two nose holes, these two eyes, and these two ears. And what you allow into those seven holes defines who you are, defines how you feel, um, you know, what you believe in, the actions you take, the results you get. And these holes are, are especially in today's world, they're too available. They're too vulnerable. So, you know, what you read, who you talk to, who you tell your ideas to, oh, for the love of God, 
I'm not religious. It takes everything in me to say that, but whatever it is, <laughs> don't spread your ideas on the people who are going to crap on them. My gosh, just be so careful of your ideas. Um, have a mastermind group, have a consortium of people you trust who are also playing bigger. Don't be the most interesting person in the room. One of the worst things you can do. That's why I love I've been invited back starting in 2000 to six TED conferences. I'm like a piece of carny trash there, and I love it. <laughs> you know, when I go somewhere else and I'm the most interesting person in the room, my wife sees me. I'm, I'm just like, I'm fidgeting to get out of there, you know. I want to always be challenged. I want to I uh, hear what other people are doing that excites me. Uh, and I want to be in mastermind groups. I've been uh, six years in two different groups, and boy, we share everything in there. But boy, as far as putting things out into the world, having an idea and telling somebody about it, telling your buddy at work about it, your brain goes through the entire process of, of having done it, have done the work, having seen the reward. Just when they say, oh, that's a great idea, the dopamine release can kill an idea on contact. So, you know, be careful of what you do. Don't start thinking that I'm, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to tell everybody about it, everything about it. It's, uh, and that's for me. That may work really well for other people. But boy, for me, I just found I, I have to be so protective of what comes into these seven holes, all the way from food to the air I breathe to what I look at and read to what I hear from other people. Um, so what? Go ahead. No, no, you. Nah, I can keep going with other ideas. All right, well, so social media, so controlling what you take in, I think that's a big one. Um, it's so easy in our ADHD society to get sucked into the latest news cycle, politics, religion, and on and on and on. How do, to me. Yeah, I remember, um, I think I heard you speak at a, um, I was on maybe Nevada County Online, and you were talking about Really be careful about what you take in as far as social, the news and social media. Are you still on pretty tight on that? What you fast off mainstream media and there's nothing I don't know about. You know, I, I know Hillary's our president. No, I'm kidding. I know, uh, <laughs> but I know, uh, you know, I know everything that's going on just from being in this world. What I, what I, I'm 18 years or so at least into uh, no network news. I, I couldn't imagine doing anything like that to myself. In fact, in Showbiz Blueprint in my group coaching program, uh, my higher end group coaching program, people sign in the agreement that for 10 weeks of the 10 weeks of this, it is imperative that you don't. I say, I'm not going to be there in your house to watch you, but I want you to sign this and tell me that you're not going to watch mainstream media news. Uh, it's impossible, Doug, to create a vision. The visions that live inside of us as entrepreneurs, we are entrepreneurs. We're here, as Jeff Walker says, to save the world. That is our work. And it's impossible to do that if the soundtrack that's playing behind you is how bad things are, how negative, what kind of uh, bad economic system we're in. Uh, the truth is, I don't listen to that stuff. And for me, it's not. Things have never been better. You know, I, I help people create, I lead people in creating their biggest dreams ever. And it always happens because they turn off the news. They're not listening to that bad soundtrack. They're doing the work. They're going from zero to point one to point two to point four to point eight to 1.6 and just doubling. So, and if you're listening to the news and watching these eight different angles of something being blown up, you know, I know when things get blown up and yeah, and it's, it's not in my scope. It's not the light I see at the end of my tunnel. So if you're, if you're creating something, if you're that entrepreneur, be so clear on what you're seeing and only do what serves you and supports you in getting to that light so that at the end of that light, you can enter a new tunnel and see what's bright out there. And boy, if we get complicated and beautiful men and women who are telling us about murder with that little glint in their eye, we're done. Get a job. Stop. Hmm. What else? What other tips? Man, covered the holes in the head. 
you know, protecting what goes in there, <laughs> our ideas, our work ethic, listening to our body. How about, how about play? How about, um, how much time do you put in working versus how much time you spend just like family and time? Let me, let me give you, let me speak on that for one second here, because I think this is a real entrepreneur trap. You know, the next, the next great WordPress widget, the next great microphone, the next thing you have to have, the next this, all these things to be experts as. You know, I'm really clear on when I'm working, I'm a thousand percent. When I'm not working, I'm a thousand percent. I like running, biking, swimming, the triathlon sports. Uh, and, and when I'm doing those things, I'm a hundred percent all in. So, you know, what do we have to do? Have a list together, you know, know the top three things you need to do today. Huge, I call it the four T's, top three things today. You know, and, and there has to be three. Like one of my things today was to show up big for my buddy Doug, who's running this podcast. And that's one of the things, and I'll check that off and I'll go, okay, I showed up big for that one. Um, there's a couple other things for my business that I'm gonna do today. And then, so you know, money making activities, MMA, you heard these talked about. What are your money making activities? I spend 75% of my day on money making activities. Those are things that I'll realize financial income from in 90 days or less. That's my money making. The other 25%, that's big picture stuff. That's swinging for the fences. That's going onto LinkedIn and contacting a number one best-selling author and saying, uh, hey, I'd love to uh, talk to you. I'd love to have you speak to my group. It's contacting a guy who just wrote an article for the New York Times uh, on sugar that's gotten millions of hits and shares and saying, I have a community. I'd love to just do an interview. Um, it's dreaming about the next big project. It's, it's scaring myself. It's waiting for that little blip in my radar to kind of go, ooh, that's one. So 75% on MMA, 25% swinging for the fences. And honestly, the rest of it is, uh, is playtime, man. It's uh, setting up life, taking care of business. And there's a difference. You know, let me straighten that out also for entrepreneurs. When I say 75% MMA time, you know, I may, I may be an entrepreneur. I don't go to a regular job, but I know like today I'm going to have six hours in the office. So 75% of that will be MMA, 25%. And maybe there's two hours after that that are life stuff. You know, it's a, uh, paying bills, it's going to the doctor, it's, it's taking care of, you know, the life stuff, dealing with a, an insurance company that I'm dealing with for some right now. So, you know, we are, we have to be so precious with our time as entrepreneurs. It's insane to me, the, the, the idea that we built something and we sit on a beach, you see all these pictures on squeeze pages of people on the laptop on their, I don't want a laptop on my lap at the beach, you know, I really don't. I want a frisbee <laughs> in my hand, you know, I want to be riding on a big wave. I don't want a laptop on my lap at a beach. I, I, uh, sorry if you're that guy or that girl, um, and I hope you have a nice laptop. But uh, <laughs> and it's sandproof. <laughs> and I hope it's sandproof and, and you can see through it. Yeah. So this piece about um, hiring out, what you're saying is no, uh, you know, you you don't want to do it yourself. A lot of a lot of people think they have to do everything. They don't have the budget. They don't have the time. You know, whatever it is, the control that nobody else can do the work like they can. Whatever it is, um, you're saying. Find your core thing, do what you do best, and hire out the rest. Take it away, Barry. <laughs> two, areas, two areas that are really big to focus on that is uh, I'm present for what I need to be present for, on-screen interviews, cameras, uh, and I'm present for things I want to be present for. Sometimes I love sitting in on an editing session. Sometimes I love uh, uh, you know, doing my, my live Q&As with my community. Like Those are things I love doing and I have to be there for. Really, anything else in your business yeah, you can't go from zero to having that 100% outsource, but what are the big things that are wasting your time? You know, if we can, the 80-20 rule always comes back, you know, what's the 20% of the activity we do that's responsible for 80% of our income, for our, mm -hmm. for our impact? 
Yeah, it's all out there. Get honest with yourself and, and define it. Like I, I just recorded all, all the 10 modules for my uh, Showbiz Blueprints again. I hadn't done them in two years, so I wanted to do them fresh again with new content, stuff I'd learned, you know, updating some stuff. So I went into a studio, literally a camera guy operated the camera and the teleprompter, well, not in teleprompter, just the bullet points. Uh, I was in front of the camera and from there it got uploaded to a Dropbox. From there, a guy in uh, Serbia did all the editing. Well, actually, from there, a gal in, in Portland, Oregon, went through the videos, did the uh, time cuts for the editor to do, said, come in here, out there, put this on the screen. She sent that to a guy in Serbia who's my video editor, who's amazing. And then the next thing I got back was the final version of my video. Could I have done the notation on the screen? Could I have done the video editing? Yeah, and I used to. And I used to, and I knew for sure that was, had nothing to do with my 80-20 rule. And honestly, right now I'm living more in the 95-10. I'm 95, I should work on math. I'm working more in the 95-5 <laughs> range. I mean, really, there's 5% of the stuff I do that affects 95% of my life. And I will wager as your entrepreneurial business grows bigger and bigger, you'll go from 80-20 to 85-15 to 90-10. It just, it keeps going. And there's less and less you need to be present for. And all of that is hiding under the lizard brain which is a part of you inside your brain, back in the brain, this little almond-shaped part of your brain that will do anything in the world to keep you safe from change. And it sees change as the number one fear. So if we're thinking of changing something, we gotta battle something that's really in effect helping to drive us. And that's why I go back to the, what's the smallest thing you can do that triggers you. Because we have to start beating this thing up little tiny bit at a time uh, in a good way, you know, respecting it, but also taking back control of it. Because if you have an idea and it's too big and too grand, lizard brain will shut that down and start giving you a list of reasons as long as your body about why it won't work, why it's not right. And it'll sabotage you. It'll jump into addiction, which is one of its greatest co cozy blankets. It'll get you hooked on a, a new TV show, on some food, on, on porn, on a bad relationship. doesn't matter. Uh, it, just, it just wants something to hold on to that starts to keep you real small. Wow. We have covered a lot of territory here. Um, is it still Wednesday? Yeah, it is. Okay. It is still Wednesday. <laughs> so if people want to learn more about you and uh, also, so there's a few things I'm looking here for, uh, looking here for. One are some references where you'd send people to learn more about you, about um, what you're doing, about your sugar-free program. If there's entertainers out there that want to learn more about how to leverage that. And then the second part might be books, resources, websites, um, places you recommend to sort of, you know, that's books that have been important to you, personal growth courses, whatever things you would say, you know, put your attention here, not over here on the mainstream of that. Well, to get in touch with me, you can go to, uh, 30 days, three, zero days, sugarfree.com. Uh, that's a good one. Raspini, R-A-S-P-Y-N-I, the word raspy with ni at the end.com. You can see my, my world of throwing things in the air, <laughs> catching them. And, um, and uh, Showbiz Blueprint, if you're an entertainer or you want to see what it, it looks like to reach into a community. You know, it's funny, uh, Jeff Walker, who we spoke about during this interview, he really loves to focus on people who are doing successfully online who aren't in the make money online business. That was always a big focus for him. So he, I think he made me chapter four of his book because he found out I was selling a... Uh, using his product launch formula to sell a program to uh, jugglers, magicians, ventriloquists, and clowns. He could not 
like he was like, oh, that's the epitome of the. <laughs> so it was really neat to talk to him and do that. But you can see what that looks like in showbizblueprint.com. Um, wonderful uh, sequence that uh, his, his work has taught me to do. Um, so that's some places to get in touch with me. Also on LinkedIn, at, uh, I was an early adopter. So most, most social networks in the world, you can do slash Barry F. Uh, Barry F and it'll get you to me Facebook and Twitter's and you know all those things um, and then yeah resources to read you know if you're an artist if you're into uh, entrepreneurism which I consider it is art being an entrepreneur is being an artist a book that uh, you can grab and pick up anytime you're feeling low Gee, I think it's probably on my shelf over there <laughs> um, it's called uh, uh, the war of art it's by Stephen Pressfield and it is just short little essays. His main character in that book is a person called Resistance. And whatever one you happen to open to and read is exactly what's happening with you and Resistance right now. So hmm. it, it's, it's really nice to how to deal with that and how to, how to hold that part of yourself, which is not a bad part. It's not a part that needs to be sliced. It's a, it's a part of you that needs to mature. It's a part of you that needs to quit driving your life from behind and brought out in front of you so you can look it in the eyes and kind of say, yeah, I hear you saying that's scary. I hear you saying that no one will probably read the first 10 blog posts I make and I'm going to do them anyway. Okay. Any other books, recommendations? Sure. Depending on where you are in your business, uh, all kinds of great people to study, you know, um, Jeff Walker, PLF. I love that. I love a, a site called freedom, F R E E D Y M. Uh, a great guy, Ryan Lee. He's, uh, he started that. It's kind of the Netflix of online businesses. It's, very inexpensive and it's got literally it's, it's when he says the Netflix of lifestyle business, he means it. It's, uh, it's anything you could want to learn. Uh, the only trap I'll give you there. The only trap is don't get caught up in learning, get caught up in doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Make, make the mistakes. You making mistakes is 10 to one more powerful than reading about somebody else's mistakes. Okay. Yeah. Barry, thank you very, very much. You're a good man, Doug. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> Great to chat with you. Yeah, you too. And um, again, uh, you can probably look somewhere around this page uh, for more resources from Barry and Sugar Day, 30daysugarfree.com. That's the number three zero is a good place to uh, really start and get yourself healthier and the whole shebang. Again, thanks, Barry. And this is Doug Green with what really matters interviews.com thank you for listening <laughs> <laughs>